Welcome to the Westside Investors Network. Win your community of investing knowledge for growth. This is the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast for real estate professionals by real estate professionals. This show is focused on the next step in your career, investing. Thank you for listening. And please, if you like our content, rate us on your podcast provider. Just a quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are for educational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any shares or securities, make or consider any investments or take any other action. Welcome back to another episode of the Deal Deep Dive segment on the Westside Investors Network podcast. I'm your host, Trent Werner. In this segment, our featured guests will share their unique stories on a specific deal they've invested in. We will dive deep into finding the deal, financing the deal, writing an offer, and the due diligence. Do us a solid and smash that subscribe button, leave us a rating, and share this episode. And now, let's dive deep. Welcome back to the Westside Investors Network podcast. I am your host, Trent Werner. On today's Deal Deep Dive episode, we are joined by Zach Winner. Zach is the founding partner and CEO of Prosperity CRE a private equity firm specializing in providing passive investment opportunities in multifamily apartment complexes. Aside from being the CEO of Prosperity CRE, Zach is also a licensed attorney and member of the California Bar Association. Now let's welcome Zach Winner. All right, we have Zach Winner joining the Deal Deep Dive episode on the Westside Investors Network podcast today. Zach, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Well, it's my pleasure, Trent. Thanks for having me on your show. Really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Zach's going to talk about an 80-unit apartment deal that they went full cycle on over the last few years. We're also going to get to learn more about Prosperity CRE, which Zach is the co-founder and CEO of. Before we dive into all the details, Zach, for people that don't know who you are, what is a quick couple blurbs about yourself? Yeah, happy to give you a little bit of background about myself. I'm an attorney, although I don't practice law anymore. I'm full-time real estate investor, and Prosperity CRE is our real estate investment company where we're investing in primarily multifamily at this point, and we're bringing in passive investors to invest alongside us. So we're syndicating these investments. So I started investing in real estate in the 1990s. Back then, in addition to being an attorney, I also had a mortgage company, an escrow company, and a residential real estate brokerage company. And the focus of my business was providing financing for investors buying single-family homes around the country and renting them out. And the thesis back then was you could buy a single-family, brand-new, three-bedroom, two-bath home for $100,000, and you could get 90% loan-to-value financing. So for $10,000, you could buy a brand-new three-bedroom, two-bath house, rent it out for break-even, maybe a little bit of positive cash flow. And so the thesis for this investment group was, if you have $100,000, you can do that 10 times and buy 10 properties. And if you just look at historical market appreciation, over 10 years, that $100,000 will appreciate to a million dollars. It was a way to invest a hundred thousand and then in ten years have it accumulate and appreciate to a million dollars. Because of that, we had lots of investors buying lots and lots of homes around the country. So we were doing loans around the country, primarily in these key markets that you're probably familiar with: Florida, Nevada, Phoenix, Utah. And along the way, I started buying homes too and renting them out. So that's how I got started investing in real estate. Eventually, I realized for a variety of reasons, 
you're better off investing in larger properties and more commercial properties. To higher asset class, you get economies of scale. There are some significant tax advantages. You're dealing with a much more professional property management company if you're employing third-party property management. So eventually, I transitioned over to commercial. I've owned a hotel. We own a couple of industrial flex office parks. But right now, we're really focused on value-add multifamily. That's our core strategy that we employ. And you mentioned a couple of key markets when you were investing and helping others invest in single-family real estate. Are you still focusing on those markets or are you expanding into other areas of the country? So when we're looking at markets, we have about 25 different metrics that we look at to determine what are the top markets in the country for multifamily, large apartment complexes. And we're looking at the typical things like population growth, job growth, business friendly, landlord friendly. We like diverse economies with a focus on STEM related jobs and employers. When we look at these various metrics, and then we're also looking at cap rates, that's a big factor, right? If the cap rates are very, very low, like on the West Coast and East Coast, it's a lot harder to get these deals to pencil out. So because of that, the markets that we're focused on are in the Midwest and the Southeast. We like Kansas City, Indianapolis, Columbus, Cincinnati, Raleigh-Durham, Chapel Hill, the Piedmont Triad, Greensboro, Piedmont, et cetera. So those are some of the markets that we're focused on. And do you invest at all in state in California? No, we don't. So California is very landlord unfriendly. It has rent control. We hate rent control. So we won't go to areas with rent control. It's very business unfriendly as well. So there's different philosophies for investing. Some people will only invest in their backyard and they have to be feel that they have to be close to their investment and have a very hands-on approach. We've been able to develop a model where we're comfortable investing in other states and we hire third-party property managers. That's one of our criteria is we have to go into a market that's big enough to support at least a handful of best-in-class third-party property managers for these larger 80, 100-plus unit apartment complexes. So if we have to make a switch, we can. And then we're very active in asset managing and managing the management company. The markets that you're looking at are can't remember how to describe them, but they're not the LA, San Francisco's. They're kind of right below that in terms of size and jobs and everything. I guess they're called secondary markets. There's primary, (laughs) secondary, tertiary markets. Yeah. Yeah, So these would be like secondary markets. They're still very sizable, significant markets. Like Kansas City is a very vibrant economy. It's a very large market. And what's interesting is if you compare it to, for example, Los Angeles or San Francisco, even though the population is a lot bigger in Los Angeles, there's a net migration out of LA and out of California every year. And there's a net migration into Kansas City. So even though the markets are smaller, in a sense, they're more vibrant and they're growing and they're attracting more businesses. They're attracting more people to relocate there. So the population's increasing, the net migration is increasing, which are all favorable factors for multifamily. Right, right. So the deal that we're going to talk about today, and I guess before I get into that, Prosperity CRE, how many properties or units do you guys have under management right now? We have about 350 units and then another 75,000 square feet of office park, industrial flex office park. And that we're under escrow to acquire another 124 units, which we'll close on by the end of this year. Very nice. Very nice. So now let's talk about the 80 unit. You said it was in Kansas City, went full cycle on it. 
how did you find this deal when you guys bought it? I mean, we look for deals both with brokers and off market, but truth be told, all of the properties that we've acquired have been through brokers. And in our experience, when we're looking at these larger multifamily properties, 80, 100 plus units, they tend to be listed by just a few brokerage firms that specialize in large multifamily in each market. So whether it's Cushman Wakefield or MMG or whoever it may be, if you look in each market, there tends to be just a few firms that are getting the majority of these listings. And so we get in very tight with these firms. And as you submit offers and you make it to best and final, et cetera, and as you close on deals, they know that you're for real and that you can close on the deal. And that's what the broker's most concerned about. Are you going to try to retrade? Are you going to close on the deal? Do you have the finance? Are you going to be able to get the financing? Do you have the equity? Because they're not going to get paid until the deal closes. So this was one where I think at the time, Berkadia had the listing. And since then, Berkadia kind of has shifted. And I don't even know if they're still present in Kansas City. There was a shakeup there and all of the brokers went and formed a separate firm called MMG. But in any event, Bercadia had the listing and we knew the brokers at Bercadia. So we were successful in picking it up. I just want to touch on one thing that you mentioned there is building relationships with the few or the handful of brokerages that do most of the deals. Yeah. That's one thing that from our experience, we've seen be incredibly valuable. And at times it takes, if you're trying to get into a new market, it takes some work and some effort to let them know that you're for real, you're able to close. Here's our track record. But for people that are trying to expand to new markets, I think that's the best way to do it is build a relationship with these brokers and these companies, show them that you're legit and not just wasting their time. Because at the end of the day, no one wants to have their time wasted. And like you said, they only get paid if the deal closes. Absolutely. And a lot of the time that means it takes time to establish that. And so maybe you're in best and final on a deal and you don't ultimately win it, but because you're in best and final at some point, you've flown out to tour the property and meet with the brokers. And so once you go through that a couple of times, okay, well, they know you're not just some internet person off in California. You're actually taking the time, spending the money to fly out to tour. And then you can start to establish a personal rapport, which is very hard to do just from phone and emails and submitting LOIs. Right? Exactly. When you guys were looking at this deal before you bought it, what were some of the things that were enticing you to submit an offer and ultimately want to buy this deal? And when you did purchase it, what was the financing and the final price on it? This is an 80-unit apartment complex in Kansas City, Missouri. It's a value-add play, which is really what we target. So the rents were significantly below market. The units hadn't been upgraded in years. It was owned by a single person, he was a banker, and his philosophy was just cash flow, don't invest in the property. And it did have some CapEx work beyond just unit upgrades that were needed. And I think that's one of the reasons we were able to pick it up. Three of the buildings had some foundational issues, and that might have scared off other brokers, but we were comfortable. We knew what it would take to address those issues. And it was not that involved, and it was not that expensive. But in any event, it was right up our alley in terms of Rents are significantly below market, units hadn't been upgraded, and that's really what we're looking to do is come into a refresh on the common areas, address deferred maintenance, CapEx issues, upgrade the units, increase the rents. And that typically takes a couple of years to cycle through all the units and increase the rents. And did it take, in fact, a couple of years to do that? It did. We bought this at the end of May 
in 2019. And as you recall, in about March of 2020, the COVID lockdowns hit. So we owned this through the COVID lockdowns. And when the lockdowns hit, there was kind of a pause and we weren't sure what the impact was going to be from the lockdowns. Were tenants going to pay rent? What was going to be the impact on the cash flow, on our ability to turn the units? And so we kind of took a pause for maybe a quarter to two quarters to kind of gauge what the impact was and the extent to which that could impact occupancy and economic occupancy. But we were able to move through it, continue with the upgrade process. And we were able to actually complete all the unit upgrades. And initially, this was a five to seven year hold, but because the market had appreciated so much and we were able to push rents significantly beyond what we had underwritten, we were able to sell it in about three and a half years and exceed our projected investor returns. Which is honestly pretty impressive given the COVID situation, taking a quarter or two off and delaying your value add plan or your business plan for that matter, six months maybe, and then still being able to exit early. That's pretty fun, huh? And we had a fire in one of our buildings. So all of our buildings were four unit buildings. We had a fire, a tenant had some incense, fell asleep. The incense caught the mattress on fire. It took out four units, almost an entire building. The building survived, but it was like down for about six or eight months while we rehabbed. And yet you still got to exit in three and a half years, give or take, right? Yeah. And the silver lining is we were fully insured. So all of it was covered by our insurance and including loss of business income. So the lost rents were covered. And those units were upgraded to even a higher level than the other units had been upgraded to. So that was kind of a premium level that the next buyer could look to, to do a whole new round of renovations. And now here's a word from our sponsor. Get things done while you're on the move. Learn more about working with a virtual assistant through offsite professionals. It's a great way to get all the things done that you need to get done. Have freedom in your time and streamline your life by automating your business. Stop spending time on the tasks that you can delegate and start spending more time on your superpower. Call us today at 503-446-3177 or visit our website at offsiteprofessionals.com. Uptown Syndication is now offering a syndication coaching program for you to take your real estate portfolio to the next level. This is your opportunity to have experienced syndicators, AJ and Chris Shepard, coach you on your way to controlling your real estate investing future. Our coaching program will provide you with the tools and framework needed to begin syndicating real estate in your target market. Go to uptownsyndication.com today to learn more. Obviously, you guys held this property for three years, three and a half years. What was the return numbers like for investors because it was a shorter time frame than the initial five to seven projection? Yep. So the equity multiple was a little lower because we didn't hold it for five to seven. We had projected over a 2x equity multiple. The investors ended up getting a 1.7x in about three and a half years. That's pretty good from an average annual return standpoint, factoring in the cash flow while we held it and the profit on sale. They got a 21.5% average annual return. And That's great. Yeah, it was fantastic. We do a cost seg analysis to accelerate the depreciation tax write off. And we pass all of that on to the investors. So the investors got cash flow every year while we held it. And they also got a paper tax write-off when they got their K-1s. And then when we exited, we liked a 1031 exchange. We identified a replacement property 
we 1031 exchanged about 97% of our investors came along in the exchange. So they continue to defer capital gains tax and depreciation recapture tax. And now they're in a, another deal, a 180 unit apartment complex, also in Kansas City, where we're starting the whole process all over again, where the units haven't been upgraded, rents are below market. So we're doing that process all over again. And those investors are sharing in the continued cash flow and appreciation. And for the people that do roll over into the new deals, can they expect another five to seven year projected hold time? Or is this one longer? This one's a little shorter, actually. It's three to five years. Every underwriting is different, right? For each property. And we'll look and see, well, what's the optimal year to exit? And based off of our underwriting, this one that we're currently in, the 180 unit, it's a three to five year hold. Okay. If you don't mind me asking, do you have your own fancy schmancy model or do you use some of the other more well-known underwriting tools out there? It's a pretty complex model and it's got maybe 10 or 12 tabs on an Excel spreadsheet and we use Red IQ and Yardi. And so we're layering in data points as well. But yeah, it's pretty complex. How long does it take until you feel comfortable either passing or pulling the trigger on a deal when you are getting ready for underwriting? Before we even get to underwriting, because underwriting does take some time, we'll look at various demographic metrics. We subscribe to Neighborhood Scout and we look at metrics like median household income, per capita income, crime, schools, other metrics like that. And so we have minimum thresholds and we're able to knock out at least 50% of the properties just based off of not meeting our minimum demographic requirements. By the time we get to underwriting, you know, we separated the wheat from the chaff from that standpoint, and then we start underwriting. And it can take at least a week for us to really go through and get a good solid first pass and back in. We're always trying to solve for, okay, we have to deliver a minimum cash on cash return, IRR, average annual return. So we're trying to target for at least an 8% average cash on cash return while we hold it, mid-teens IRR, mid to high teens average annual return. And so we're backing into our strike price based off of that. I mean, it sounds like the markets that you focus on typically are a little bit higher cash flow than, like you said, compared to the coasts. Yeah. What kind of pref are you offering if you are offering a pref to your LPs on these deals? Mm -hmm. So for example, our current investment opportunity, which is, that one's a 506 piece. So I don't want to get into that. What about the 80 unit? What was the pref on that deal? So on that deal, the investors swept 100% of the cash flow, and it was a 75-25 LPGP split at the end. Okay. So every deal is a little different. Yeah. On the one they 1031 exchanged into, and we brought in additional investors, we actually had two classes on that one. Mm-hmm. So we had a class A1 where they received a total of 13% annual return. They got a 6% current pay paid monthly and an additional 7% that was accruing. So when we sell the property, they'll get the return of their investment principal plus the 7% that's accruing. So it's kind of treated like debt, but it is equity. And then the main class is an 8% PREF and a 70-30 split between the LPs and the GPs. But that's that, when- that 8% PREF, they're really still sweeping because the way we do the investor returns and the splits, the 70-30, we don't take our split until the investors have received 100% return of their initial investment. 
So we call it an eight pref, and that helps in terms of if there's any year in which the returns are lower than eight, they'll get a catch up. But in actuality, they're getting 100% of the cash flow. That makes sense. I feel like I've heard more and more lately of kind of the tiered classes or multiple different classes, and I think it's becoming more common. Is this your first deal doing that, or have you done that in the past? That one was our first, our current deal. We have two classes as well. Yeah. I'll tell you the main reason is over the last year or so, the Fed has raised rates faster than they've ever raised rates before. And in addition to that, the loan to values that agency is offering has come down quite a bit. So whereas you may have been able to get 75% loan to value, for example, on our current deal in and it's in Greensboro, North Carolina, the loan to value on a Fannie Mae loan is 60%. Yeah. And so that's one of the primary reasons why you're seeing that, that additional class. And I mean, it makes sense. And I also think it offers potential limited partners or investors, just different options, depending on what they want to do with their situation and how they want to use their capital, right? Exactly. There's different types of investors out there. The ones that are attracted to this more set 6%, 7% accrual, so total 13% is they tend to be more conservative. They may be close to retirement or retiring. And so they're on more of a fixed income. So they want the surety of knowing exactly how much they're going to get every month. And when we sell the property versus if you're in the main class, there's more risk and the returns can be more lumpy because well, we hold it, it's based off of the cash flow, but there's also a higher potential return. If we exceed our projections, it's that second class that's going to get the bulk of that additional upside from exceeding our projections. And since it is based on cash flow, when you are renovating units at these projects, just we'll use the 80 unit that we've talked about as an example. How many units are you typically turning at one time or have down? Obviously, the fire doesn't count because that was yeah, a... Yeah. What's your typical unit turns at one time? Well, first of all, we pre-raise for the CapEx and the unit upgrades. So we're Mm -hmm. not pulling from cash flow. It's a more conservative approach, but it's better. It just ensures that you're going to be able to do the upgrades and you're not relying on cash flow and that the investors are receiving that cash flow. So we've got that bucket of CapEx already raised and set aside and waiting to deploy. And what we're solving against is maintaining a fairly high occupancy rate. We like agency debt. So Fannie and Freddie also like to see a fairly high occupancy rate. We don't like to dip below 90%. I mentioned we're targeting two years to turn all the units. So, you know, and these have annual leases. So that means that we're not necessarily turning every unit when the leases come up for either letting the tenant go or renewing depending on the number of leases that are vacant and how many units we're upgrading, we'll choose to renew a certain percentage at a higher rent. So we'll bump their rents, for example, a hundred bucks, allow them to stay in there. We don't have to do anything this year on that unit. And then next year we'll upgrade that unit. Yeah. I think that's the best way to do it. Like you said, it can be more conservative, but I also think it's a lot less stressful on everyone that's involved when you go about it that way. Yeah, exactly. Zach, what do you see for not only yourself, but Prosperity CRE, your LPs in the next three years, we'll call it. Where do you going to take your business and your LPs that are riding with you? I think we've got a great system with the value add multifamily. It's been working very well for us. So we want to continue with that. So we're targeting probably another three acquisitions, hopefully next year. 
And as I mentioned, we love to 1031 exchange. So to the extent that we can continue to do that, we'll do that. Awesome. Where can people connect with you, Zach? They can go to our website, prosperitycre.com. They can schedule a call with me or my email's on there. They can also reach out directly to me via email. My email is zw at prosperitycre.com. And I'm also on LinkedIn. So they can reach out to me there as well. Awesome. And we'll make sure all of that is linked in the show notes. Zach, did I miss anything during our conversation that you wanted to mention today? No, this has been great. Thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. And thank you for joining us. Great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast on WIN, your community of investing knowledge for growth. We hope that this episode has increased your knowledge and added value to your path to freedom. If you would, please take a second to rate us so that we can get more great investors to interview. If you or someone that you know wants to be on, please visit westsideinvestors.com and fill out our form to be on the show. Thank you again and enjoy your day.